Alright, today's scripture uh, comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It's going to just be the one verse here. Um, we, we encourage you to look it up in uh, your pew Bibles. Uh, we're going to read it in the English Standard Version, ESV, uh, of which your pew Bibles are that version. Uh, but you can look it up in your own Bible or Bible app if you brought it. So because it's only one verse, we're going to just read the verse altogether. So if you could please stand as able uh, once you have, are ready to read the scripture. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word. All right, so we're just going to do this on three. Ready? One, two, three. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right. We are continuing uh, this Advent series. Uh, You are not alone. And uh, today's message is called, I am with you. Last week's message was called, God is with you. And I I think uh, as we uh, are talking about the idea that God is with us, that we are not alone, uh, we talked last week about how uh, being alone is such a, a problem in uh, modern society today. People feel very lonely. It's become such a, a, a an epidemic for a lot of us feeling disconnected um, from community, from uh, from even an idea of God, um, feeling like we're just kind of untethered, just floating in this universe, and there's nothing there to hold us down. And so... Um, I think in this modern age, uh, you know, a scientific age in many ways, um, I think a lot of people wonder about this question as we go to the next slide. Where is God? You know, maybe that's something that you've wondered. You know, I can't see God. I can't feel God all the time. Maybe there's moments where you've felt God before. You know, maybe there's been a time you've been in worship, and that worship has been transcendent. That's a lot of what uh, spirituality is about, is this idea of transcendence, right? Because we can't always see God. Uh, we can't feel God. We, we can't, you know, sense him in the same way uh, that we would sense a physical person, right? Um, but we talk about this idea uh, in spirituality of transcendence. There's something that goes beyond the physical, right? You feel connected to something that is greater than yourself. This is why... In many ways, we come to church, right, to experience the transcendent. And, you know, for, for some of us, though, uh, even though we may have these moments of experiencing transcendence, you may still have this question, where is God? You know, sometimes when their trips are down, sometimes when you're going through very difficult moments in your life, you start wondering, yeah, but is God actually real? Is there really a God? You know, Pastor Steve, I know you talk about God, and we read about God in the Bible, and, and, and I do believe, but there are times where I wonder, how, how do I really know? You know, well, what, what is the proof that I have? You know, and, and so for many people, I think uh, the physical absence of God is a very difficult thing for us to deal with at times. And so today's message is, we're, we're going to be talking about the idea that um, we are not meant to be alone, not just in a spiritual sense of God being with us, but of also the people of God. So in this season, uh, we are talking about, um, you know, Jesus coming to be with us. This is something that we call the incarnation, right? God became flesh. Next week's message, by the way, uh, we'll be di- uh, taking a deep, deeper dive into that. Uh, so, you know, last week's message was God is with you. Today's message is I am with you. 
Next week's message is Christ is with you. It's a nice Christmas message, right? That, that Jesus came to be with us. God became flesh, right? God became flesh. And in many ways, living incarnationally means that in some ways, God came to be with us in flesh, right? So that we can experience God. But in many ways, we get to be Christ to one another. I hope this doesn't sound too blasphemous, but in some ways, we get to be God to one another. Of course, you are not God, right? But we get to experience God through one another. That's what today's message is about. And so it's a very simple uh, passage that we read, uh, and, and we're going to read it a few times because it's just one verse. It's Galatians 6.2. So let's go to the next verse. Uh, next slide, please. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Very simple message. Uh, I know maybe some of us are, uh, you know, going through stressful times. Maybe uh, we feel like we don't have the mental bandwidth for, um, you know, reading tons and tons of verses. But we, we got one verse today. We'll, we'll be going into some other stuff too. But this is the, our main verse. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What do we mean by that? What, what, what does uh, Paul mean by this when he wrote this in Galatians? Uh, to fulfill the law of Christ. This is what we're trying to do. The law of Christ, I think, uh, can be summed up in this way. Let's uh, take a look at the other slide. Um, so you've got like, like the greatest commandments, right? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Uh, uh, a teacher of the law asked Jesus. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, right? So the idea that Jesus gave these two commandments, that he said they were the greatest, right, the most important, and that every other law, all those hundreds of laws that you see in the Old Testament, they all depend on those two laws, right? And so I think when it talks about in Scripture, when it says the law of Christ, I think that's what this is talking about. And so there's another passage in James. Uh, James was the brother of Jesus. And he said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Right? So here you see that second verse there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So I think that is supposed to be the law of Christ. Now, just kind of a, an interesting thing. Why do you think James doesn't mention the first commandment. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, because for many of us, we, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is very clear. He gives a priority. He says, the greatest commandment is love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, right? All your mind. Um, this is the great and first commandment. And then he gives a second one like it. But James doesn't mention that one. Why? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, so uh, I was reading uh, Richard Rohr uh, was writing about uh, this passage. And so I'm not saying that this is definitely the right answer, but I think it's a very interesting point. that um, So the, the great commandment that he lists, the you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is a very, very famous passage in uh, the Hebrew scripture. It's probably you know, arguably the most important uh, passage. It's called the Shema, 
which means here, because the first part of it is here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, right, with, with all that you are. And so uh, what Richard Rohr says is that maybe the reason why um, James emphasizes the second one is because the first one doesn't need to be emphasized. That's not news to anyone. If you were to talk to any Jew and you were to ask them, what is the most important commandment? Everyone would say this. They're like, well, you got to love God with everything. Duh, right? That's not news. What was news was the second part. The second part when he says, a second is like it. It is of similar substance as it. It is almost just as important. And this would have been the shocking part. It's not shocking to say, love, love God, right? Everybody knows that. Every good Jew would have known the Shema. But the second part, that's the one that, that Jesus is really trying to emphasize here, right? And this is why, this is what James emphasizes. This is the law of Christ. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as if they are you. We have been talking this whole time uh, uh, this semester about the big story. How do we do the will of God, right? What is the story that God wants us to live? And it really is about being connected to God and being connected to each other, right? We said that the big story is the fact that uh, Jesus wants to bring all of us together in Christ. And so part of this story, it's not just about us and God, right? But there is an essential aspect of us learning to love one another as if the other person were us. This is what Jesus did. Jesus loved uh, in a sacrificial way, right? And, and this is what all of us are trying to do in the church because we are trying to be connected to one another. Right? When you live out the law of Christ, you are living like Christ. So in other words, what we are trying to do here in church is we are trying to be Christ to one another. Why, why is this important, brothers and sisters? Because I think for many of us, we don't always experience the love of God in the, those spiritual means, right? Jesus could have just stopped at Love the Lord your God with all that you are. That's it, period, end of sentence. But he doesn't do that, right? Because, brothers and sisters, I, I think sometimes when I see people talk about church, when they talk about Christianity, when they talk about religion, I feel like they think you can just stop at the first commandment. It's like other people don't matter, you know? All you need is God right? All you need is Jesus. Forget these other people, because you know what? People are difficult, you know? People are sometimes hard to love. People are greedy. People are selfish. People, you know, have bad mood swings, you know? People sometimes smell, you know? People have body odor, you know? And so why do we need people? Why is this important? You know, and, and so in many senses, I think that we think as long as I'm loving God, as long as I am, you know, with God and believe in God and have God in my life, that's, a, that's enough. But I think for, for most of us, the way we are built is you are not built to be alone. Yes, God can fill that need and God is supposed to, but you were meant to be in community. 
This is the way God created you. It is one of the ways that we experience God is by uh, the way that we love one another. This was by design. We shouldn't be surprised by this. I want to mention this, brothers and sisters, because I think for many of us, um, uh, can, can we go back to uh, Galatians 6.2? Um, I think for many of us, um, we think that this sounds very human, you know? Like, ah, Pastor Steve, you're just talking about, like, just humanistic stuff. But I want to point out that this is the law of Christ. This is what we are supposed to do, is bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? How do you bear one another's burdens? So can you imagine that I have a burden, right? Um, Something that is heavy. Uh, So let's just take my jacket. My jacket is not very heavy. But let's pretend that it's very heavy. I got a burden that I have to carry in life. Mark, can you come up here and bear my burden with me? It's very light, right? Yeah, these are very well-made jackets. Okay, so so now, where's the burden? Still here, right? Now, brothers and sisters, something that you will notice is that the burden does not go away. All Mark is doing is he is carrying it with me. That's it, right? If you are to do that, you are with me, carrying this burden with me, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Congratulations, Mark. Good job. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. Now, so when we bear one another's burdens, right, you will notice it doesn't say fix another's burdens, right? Because sometimes you can't do that. That's hard, right? But it's not so hard, at least in practice. It's not a difficult concept to understand, to bear one another's burdens, right? But I think for a lot of us, we uh, uh, actually would rather fix uh, another's burdens rather than bear the burden with them. I think this is part of the reason why uh, we wanted to do the thing with Peace Neighborhood. Uh, so Peace Neighborhood, uh, you know, we want to work with them, and we want to form a relationship with them so we can get to know them, so we can walk with them, so we can have relationship, Right? It's much easier to just throw money at people, right? Now, can you imagine that, um, you know, I don't know, there's like somebody who needs help, right? And they're like, hey, can you help me, right? I'm lonely. I need a friend. Now, that's can be difficult in some ways because, you know, you're going to be with that person. It's not a one-time thing. Now, I think for many of us, uh, if someone's in need, we would rather just be like, hey, what do you need? You need money? Right? I can give you money. Right? And in, in, in many cases in America, um, people are really good at throwing money at problems, you know, charity and things like that. But what does it mean to actually bear one another's burdens? Uh, so uh, a few years back, um, we did a mission trip to uh, New Orleans. And this was a few years after Hurricane Katrina. And New Orleans just got really jacked up because the levees broke and much of the city got flooded. Uh, many of these cities, because they got flooded, they were filled with mold and all kinds of nasty things. A lot of people had to evacuate their homes. And so we went during the time when uh, they were trying to renovate people's homes and trying to get people back in there. And uh, we were going through this organization called Crossroads Missions. And uh, uh, so, you know, we're helping this family and we were with them uh, during the week uh, fixing the house alongside them. And, and so I think that kind of like ministry model of actually being there with them, of, 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 uh, you know, not just like somebody coming to, to someone's home and saying, 
hey, let me just fix your house, right? But let's fix it together. That seems like more of a Christ-like model, don't you think? You know? And so one of the last days that we were there, um, we went to a local park and we brought like a bunch of sandwiches and, and Kool-Aid and we were just, you know, kicking around balls with kids and uh, just, you know, passing out sandwiches and, and juice boxes to the community. And um, uh, there was this, this, this man who uh, was kind of like on the outside of this park a little bit. He was just kind of on the outskirt of this park and he was just kind of standing there, right? And, and he didn't have a shirt on. Uh, the, the man looked very, like, unkempt. Like, it looked like, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't know if he was homeless, but uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was. Um, and, and, you know, I was like, well, I'm the pastor, right? I should, you know, invite this guy, you know? And so I went up to him. I was like, hey, man, are, are, are you hungry? Like, you know, do you want a sandwich? And, and he started talking, but I couldn't understand him, right? He was just like, he started saying all these things, and uh, his, his voice was, or his, his words were like all jumbled. And um, so I couldn't understand what he was saying. Also, like New Orleans, like they kind of have like a thick accent, some people do. And, and so I, I couldn't understand a word the guy was saying, but he started laughing. So, so I started laughing too. I was like, oh, do you want a sandwich? And, uh, and, and so he just didn't say anything. He just smiled at me. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to go back, right? And so I was like very, very uncomfortable. And so the guy takes a step towards me and just looks at me, right? And, and he smiles again. And I was like getting really uncomfortable. Like, like d- d- does anyone ever do that to you? Like, like they, they give you direct eye contact and it just makes you want to look away, right? It's so intimate. If someone were to just look at you straight in the eyes, Right? It either makes you want to look away or laugh, right? One of the two. It's, it's just so intimate. It's so vulnerable. And so this guy comes and looks at me and I try to pull away. And, and, um, I, I, I don't remember if he actually grabbed me, but this is the way I remember the story. I remember him grab, the, the way I remember the story is he grabbed me, but I, I couldn't leave. And he looks at me and all of a sudden his voice was very clear. And he was like, Hey, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is Jesus. (laughs) You know that passage where it says, you know, Jesus, when when did we see you? And, and, you know, not give you something to drink. Or, you know, when did we see you and not give you something to eat? You know, when did we visit you when you were in prison? He says, when you did this for the least of these, you did this for me. I was like, oh shoot, right? I was like so convicted. But I, I, I so, so then it, it, I, I just kind of felt like what I needed to do was not get this guy a sandwich, you know, not, not do something, you know, to just kind of like fix the problem, but I just needed to be there with them. So I just sat there and we just smiled at each other <laughs> and we just kind of looked at each other and there was a connection. I mean, of course, I had to leave, right? I couldn't stay there forever. You know, but brothers and sisters, do, do you ever feel like that? Where somebody comes to you and they have a problem, and what they really need is for you to be there with them. But for many of us, that makes us very uncomfortable. I think it makes us so uncomfortable that this has entered the way that we communicate with people every day. Right? Probably, you've already done this this morning. You, you came up to someone, and, and what do we do? We're like, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, how's your week? 
And then the person is like, dude, I had the toughest week. Can, can I just tell you? Like, like I'm having an existential crisis. Of course we don't do that. We're just like, oh, I'm good. You? Good. And that's it. That's it. It's just, we, we go about this deep, right? You know, because for many of us, we're like, well, they, they don't want to hear all my problems. Right? We understand what that is. It's just a greeting. How you doing? Good. You? Good. Right? Or it, have you ever said not so good? Probably some of you have. Was the other person, maybe some people, like if they really know you, they're like, oh, what's wrong? Tell me about it. Right? And maybe instead of like standing, you, you actually sit down because you're like, I'm not going anywhere, right? I'm going to listen to your problems. I'm going to be here with you. You know, but I think for many of us, it makes us very uncomfortable, right? Have you ever talked to someone and they started crying? You know, and, and you, you like literally didn't know what to say. You're, you're just like, oh, like, this person's crying. What do I do? How do I make it stop? Right? I'll tell you what guys used to do back in the day. We're learning. But this is what a lot of guys would do. When, when, when someone was crying, let's say it's your little brother. He's getting bullied. Right? People on the, the playground are, are making him feel like less than nothing. And, and so they, they make fun of him. And they say, you know, you're, you're weak or whatever. And everyone laughs at him. Someone pulled down his pants in, in front of the playground, and everyone laughed at him. So he comes home to his older brother, and he's crying, and it's starting to make you uncomfortable. So what does the older brother do? Don't cry. Stop crying, man. Are you really trying to help your brother? <laughs> or are you trying to make yourself not feel com- uncomfortable? Is it that you're really trying to fix their problem? Maybe you think you are. You're like, hey, guys don't cry. Boys don't cry. Men don't cry. You got to toughen up. But I think in most cases, the reason why we do that is because we feel uncomfortable, right? So this is the thing. If, if Mark were to say like, hey, you got a burden. Let, let, me, let me fix that burden for you, okay? Like, like let, let me throw a bunch of money at it or uh, let, let me just you know, make this burden go away. So, yay, no burden. But this is the thing. A lot of the problems that we have, the real serious problems, don't go away that easily. We know that. Because don't you think we would have done it, right? And that's always the thing that always gets me. Like, like when someone is like, uh, you're really worried about something and someone goes uh, to you, you're talking to someone like, hey, how are you doing? Like, man, I'm, I'm so anxious. And so maybe our natural tendency is like, we want to fix the problem. So we're like, hey, don't be anxious. Thanks. <laughs> you think I didn't think about that? You, you think I, I didn't try that to not be anxious, to not be worried? Right? The, the whole issue why this is an issue is because it is so big, because it is so difficult. Right? In one five-second conversation with somebody at church, you're not going to make that problem go away. It's not going to work that way. Right? And, and even with Jesus, when you think about what Jesus did, Jesus didn't just be like, you know, forgiven, 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 forgiven. No problems, right? He had to be arrested, be humiliated, be stripped. He had to take up this heavy cross, right? He went through a whole trial, right? He had to carry that cross up a hill, right? He had to go and die on that cross. Why? Why? 
Because Jesus, what we say, is Jesus bore our burdens. Jesus didn't just forgive your sin. He carried your sin. He experienced your sin. Right? And for many of us, what we really need is someone to come alongside us and not get rid of the problem, but to carry it with us. Why don't we do that? Because if I carry your burden, guess what? Now I have a burden too. (laughs) Right? I have to experience that pain too. But of course we know when we experience those pains together, somehow it's not as bad, isn't it? It's something that we call uh, the, the, the arithmetic of community. The arithmetic of community goes like this. When you have problems and you have more people that come and carry those problems with you, the problems get divided, right? Um, If you have joys and you share the joy, the joys get multiplied. I I used to use this example of, uh, uh, if you ever saw like American Idol or one of these shows where people would like try out to become a famous singer, and you would see the difference between someone who would try out alone and someone who would bring their whole family or bring all their friends, or bring their church group, or something like that. And so the person who, like, like they get that golden ticket to go to Hollywood, which means they go to the next stage, right? It's kind of a big deal. Like, there's a very small percentage of people get picked to do that. And so the person who comes alone, and they get the golden ticket, you know, they go outside, and Ryan Seacrest interviews them, and they're like, hey, man, you know, how do you feel, and all this stuff. And, and usually, this is how it goes when somebody tries out by themselves. They come out, and they're like, like, hey, man, how do you feel? Oh, this, this feels awesome. Oh, dude, I've, I've been dreaming of this. I've been working at this my whole life. But when someone comes out with their whole family and friends, this is how it goes. They go out there and everyone's like, ah! 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 they're jumping up and down, right? They're, they're jumping up and down the whole day. Ryan Seacrest is like, okay, you guys got to calm down. I got to interview you, right? It's different, right? Every now and then, you'll get one person who does that by themselves. But they just look so silly, right? You know, even you looking at Pastor Steve doing that, I'm sure some of you felt a little uncomfortable. Like, Pastor Steve, come on, man, you're a grown man. What are you doing? But when you're with a bunch of people, you don't care. The volume goes up. You ever see someone enjoying a meal by themselves at a restaurant? And they're just like, yeah, this meal is so good. Yeah. You'd be like, dude, what is your problem? Right? I've never seen that. But I've seen many times, you'll see a whole dinner party. And these people are laughing and shouting and yelling. And you're like, oh, my gosh, they're so loud. Right? Like the volume, it just goes up. The joy increases. It's a beautiful thing. It's the way God created us. We were meant to be with each other. But when you have problems, right? Have you ever, you know, so for when you're on the other side of the problem and someone shares with you, you think your job is to get rid of the problem, right? Give advice or something like that. But if you've ever had a problem, like a real problem, not not just something small that can go away with a quick piece of advice, but something you're really, really struggling with, Right? I mean, it's almost insulting when someone tries to fix your problem, isn't it? Right? But for someone to just listen, for someone just to understand, that's what we want. What we want is human connection. So 
there was a, a researcher, this guy, John Gorman, uh, who did, uh, sorry, uh, John Gutman. He did a uh, study with uh, a lot of different couples. He and his wife uh, have worked with many, many uh, couples, and they would analyze their conversations. And he, he's become this, this expert at, at, at uh, being able to realize what would, uh, like when couples would succeed and when they wouldn't. And so they kind of came up with this system where they could tell by people's interactions. Uh, and, and so they could tell within 94% certainty whether or not a married couple was going to stay together years into the future. 94% certainty. And, and what they were looking for was how do people respond towards bids of connection? What is a bid of connection? A bid of connection is when someone comes to you and they say something where they're trying to connect. This is the way you're built, right? You, you are built to be a social uh, 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 person, right? You are built to be in community. You are built to love. So we naturally want to connect to people, right? So when you go, go to someone and, and like, you know, maybe you're, you're talking to your husband or your wife in, in the case of a married couple, and you're like, <sighs> and, 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 and you know, if, if you're, husband or wife is paying attention. They're like, hey, what's wrong, right? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm having a pretty tough day. Oh, yeah, I had a tough day too. Okay. That would be not responding to the bit of connection, right? And what they found is that uh, amongst what they would consider happy couples, the couples that are going to make it, right, uh, they found that 87% of the time, that they would respond to bids of connection positively, right? So, so what they did, if you want to know kind of the way they designed the study, is that they, they had uh, couples come to a bed and breakfast, and they videotaped all their, their, their uh, interactions over an entire weekend. And, and they just tried to see, like, you know, hey, what do happy couples do that unhappy couples don't? And so the happy couples, 87% of the time, almost 9 out of 10 times, when, when someone is like, it doesn't even need to be something serious, like, oh, I'm having a really bad day. But it could be something very simple, like, you know, maybe there's something funny on their phone. They're like, hey, honey, look at this. You know, like, oh, my gosh, this video is so funny. Right? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's nice. You know, that would be kind of blowing off the bit of connection. Uh, so what they found is that uh, the unhappy couples, the couples that probably wouldn't make it, only turn towards people in those bids of connection 30% of the time. Right? And so what they found also that was kind of surprising is that you can respond to a bit of connection, someone saying to you, hey, I want to connect with you, right? Um, if it's a subtle thing like, hey, I want to hang out with you, I want to talk to you, I, I want to make some sort of human connection, and you can respond to that positively, yes, I want to connect with you, oh, hey, show me that video, oh, yeah, that's cool, right? Or you can uh, respond to it negatively, that's stupid, Right? <laughs> Like, you think you have problems? My problems are worse. They could be negative, or it could just be neutral. Oh, that's nice. Or you just ignore them. In this day and age, usually it's not the negative uh, ways that we turn away bits of connection. We, we just don't respond to them positively. And what they found is the neutral ways that we deal with bits for connection are just as harmful as the negative ones. If you've ever been blown off by someone, you know this is true. Right? It's not just that people are being mean, but we're being ignored. Right? And so for many of us, 
We want to connect. So what people want, uh, this is what Brene Brown says about connection. Human connection is the energy that is created between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. Connection is the energy that is created between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. And so basically what we are looking for is people to actually see you, to hear you, right? Like, like, hey, tell me more, you know? Oh, man, that's so hard. Man, I, I can understand that, you know, in your situation. Like, that would be so difficult. You don't actually have to have experienced what they went through. But you just need to be here with them, fully present. Put away your phone, right? Look at them. Look at them in the eye. They found that, that for a lot of people, even the mere presence of a cell phone uh, would make uh, people rate the conversations that, that people had with those people far less, just the presence of the phone. The idea is that at any time we can be interrupted. You're not really here, right? You're kind of half here and half not. But what we want to know is, are you with me? Are you actually going to stand by me and help bear this burden? I've been sharing a little bit, and some of you guys know some of the stuff that I've been going through. Uh, I, I, last uh, January, I, I started having panic attacks. Uh, it was after I spoke at a retreat. And I spoke at this retreat in Cincinnati uh, where um, I was praying for, well, it was a youth retreat. And there were also some college students there who were like the counselors. And uh, on the last night of the retreat, um, I prayed for the kids and um, it, it was pretty incredible. I asked people if they wanted prayer, and almost every single person in the retreat came up for prayer. I was praying for kids till like 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and praying for a lot of the counselors came up too. Um, and it was a pretty incredible retreat. But two days later, I started having uh, these panic attacks, and, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And uh, I, I don't know how to fully describe to you what a panic attack feels like, but for me, what it felt like was it felt like I was going to die. That's what I thought. And, and so, like, I wasn't, but that's the way it felt. And so, um, unfortunately, what started to happen was I couldn't sleep either because um, I felt like I couldn't breathe. And so every time I started to fall asleep, my, my mind and body would just jolt awake because, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you can't breathe. And then my mind would be like, wake up. And it was pretty bad. Um, one of the things that was kind of interesting from this is uh, a, a lot of pastors that I talked to, because I got really desperate during this time. It's one of the things that I've learned, is that I can't go through these difficult times alone. And so I reached out to a lot of people. I reached out to the senior pastor. I, I actually even told a lot of the congregation, for those of you guys who were here, I told you guys about it. I told the leaders about it. There are times where I had panic attacks during a meeting. Um, I actually didn't tell you guys this. There was a sermon where I had a panic attack right before the sermon. You, you probably couldn't tell. I was just sweating more that day. That's all. That, that's the only way you would have been able to tell. Um, but uh, I, I really try to lean upon people. And uh, I, I was desperate. I was like, man, I need help. And so, um, you know, one of my pastor friends asked me, he said, Pastor Steve, I, I know this is kind of a strange question, but did you lay hands upon the kids at the retreat? I'm like, well, yeah, I was praying for them. And he was like, yeah, that's actually something I've experienced, that um, it's like this weird kind of like spiritual transference. I don't really understand how this works. But maybe in some way, you know, a lot of the kids I was praying for were depressed and anxious. 
had a lot of psychological issues. And maybe in some way, some of that rubbed off on me. I, I don't really get it. I don't really understand it. And for the, the three months that I was going through this hell, uh, there was a, a very common thought that I had. One thought was, God, why is this happening to me? <laughs> you know, uh, this is just so awful. I don't understand. And number two, why did I speak at that retreat? <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, I kind of had like this fear of retreats. You know, uh, anytime a church would ask me to come speak at the retreat, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that again. You know, and even as I came out of that time, there was a question that was kind of lingering over me. Would I have still spoken at that retreat in Cincinnati? if I knew what was going to happen to me. It it was pretty tough. And I felt very, very lonely. I know I shared this last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago maybe, uh, about this. Um, And and I want to share a story with you. Uh, This is a true story. Um, For those of you who were here last year, you've heard this part of the story, but I just want to encourage you not to check out because there's a second part that maybe a lot of you haven't heard. (laughs) And so... The first part is, um, on my last major panic attack, this was in March of last year, or of this, this year, 2019, um, I had a massive panic attack in the afternoon. I actually was coming back um, from praying for someone who had some pretty severe mental issues. And on my way home, uh, while I was in the car, I started having a panic attack. Um, I pulled over my car on the side of the road because my whole body was shaking and um, it, it was pretty bad. Uh, I, I called my wife. I called a friend. Um, they couldn't p- uh, pick up the phone. It was in the middle of the day. Uh, the, the one friend, that actually is uh, Jason Um, he called me back after the panic attack and prayed for me. Um, but that night, uh, we were supposed to have a leadership meeting, and, and I asked the leaders, is it okay if I take the evening off, if I don't go to the leadership meeting? And they all were so gracious about it. So the next day, um, as I often do, I went to the mall to go and pray. And as I was praying, man, I I just felt so alone. The whole time, I didn't have a panic attack, but I just felt like I was kind of fighting off the panic attack. It was just right there. I could feel it in my body, in my mind. I'm like, dude, I'm I'm just about to, like, this is about to go off. I know this is going to happen. And I was so scared. And and I just, like, like I was at the mall, and and a lot of the people at the mall, uh, they, they tend to go in packs, it's all old people. It's like all people like over the age of 70. I bring down the average age of the mall when I go there, uh, probably by about, you know, three, four years. Um, but uh, they all like travel around in packs and they're talking to each other and they're laughing. And I'm like, man, I, I wish I had somebody. I feel so alone. And, and I prayed that. I was like, God, I don't want to be alone right now. God, I, I just started thinking about what my day was going to look like. I didn't have any appointments that day. It's like, I'm going to be alone all day long. It's like, God, please, I don't want to be alone. And, and so I got up from my prayer, and I started walking down the mall. And David Beck actually messaged me because he was at the leadership meeting. He knew what happened. He's like, Pastor Steve, how are you doing? Are you feeling better? And I started typing a message. I never got to send it to David, but uh, I started typing something like, I, like at first I, I started with uh, like, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing a lot better. But then I erased that, and I was like, I actually am feeling really alone. I I don't want to be alone today. 
And before I could even send the message, I was like, oh, should I send it? Should I change it? And I'm walking, right? So I look up, and someone's waving at me. And it's this guy, Pastor Andy Lee, uh, who used to serve at a church right down the road. He's a friend of mine. I've never seen Pastor Andy at the mall before. It's like 8.30 in the morning, right? (laughs) On like a Wednesday, you know? And, you know, Pastor Andy is waving at me. He's like, hey, Steve. And I'm just like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I had a a dentist appointment. And, uh, you know, I, I just had some time to kill before the dentist appointment. And he's like, hey, how are you doing? And, and I'm, I'm crying. Like, like my eyes are full of tears. And I'm like, not so good, man. Do you, do, can you actually walk with me and talk with me? He's like, yeah, yeah, of course, man. And, and so the way I tell this story is that Pastor Andy, he, he's just a normal dude, right? I mean, he's a pastor, but you know, I know the guy. He's got his own problems and issues. But on that day, Pastor Andy was Christ to me. And it was one of these things. It was the last panic attack I ever had. Because I knew that I was not alone. Maybe some of you have heard this story. And maybe some of you are even thinking right now, but Pastor Steve, come on, that could have been a coincidence. God really sent Pastor Andy to be with you. You know, I remember actually somebody asked me, this is someone who left LGM, hasn't been here for years, Uh, So it's not anyone in this room. But they were asking me questions about faith. They were really having kind of a faith crisis. They said, Pastor Steve, can you tell me about a time where you knew that God was real? And I told them about that story in the mall. And and the person was like, okay, Pastor Steve, this is a great story. But I feel like this is just the way the human brain works, right? Where we just selectively choose those moments where our prayers were answered. All the times where the prayers were answered, you don't remember that, right? And so then that sticks out in your mind, and then you form a connection, and then you're like, God is real because God answered the one prayer, but the 99 other prayers he didn't answer, right? And I was like, oh, shoot, that's kind of a good point. <laughs> and I got to be honest, I, I, I was like, oh, maybe it was a coincidence. Maybe Pastor Andy just happened to be there, right? And so... You fast forward a few months, I hadn't had a panic attack in a while. But for many of you, you know that I decided to take July off. I took the entire month off um, because I was like, man, I need to recover. I, I went through something very difficult, and I just need some rest. So it's the first extended break I've taken since I began ministry. I took the entire month of July off. Towards the end of July, I was like, hey, this is kind of nice. Maybe I'll take some more time off. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll become a counselor or something. I mean, maybe the pastoring thing isn't for me. I started having these thoughts. And, um, right after July, uh, there was a, a conference for pastors and leaders. It's called Nexus. And it was early August. It was at the KMC of Troy. And um, I went there. And to be honest, I mean, it was like the first thing that I did coming off of my break. And I was feeling pretty low. No one really knows this, but I I didn't really want to go. Um, My my faith was pretty shaky at that time. But I went. And so it's a bunch of churches from all over the place, right? All over the country. You know what church was there? 
the church in Cincinnati where I spoke at that retreat. And this college kid comes up to me. He's like, Pastor Steve, right? Because he was at that retreat. And I prayed for him at the retreat. He's like, Pastor Steve, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm a pastor. I, <laughs> I got invited. <laughs> He's like, oh my gosh, no way. He's like, yo, I got to talk to you, man. I got to talk to you about what happened at that retreat. It's like, yeah, I don't really want to talk to you about it, you know? <laughs> but he's, he's like, hey, I got to go now because he was in a different section in the conference. He's like, but, but, yo, we're going to talk later. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk later. Every time at lunch, he'd see me. He's like, Pastor Steve, we got to talk. I'm like, yeah, we got to talk. And we never did, right? Until the last night, the last night of the retreat. Actually, David came that night. <laughs> I invited David to come. And uh, uh, one of my pastor friends, uh, this guy, Pastor David, um, he, he's a very charismatic guy. And he was like, uh, yo, I'm going to make you guys do some things that are, make you really uncomfortable. I want everyone to come to the front of the church. I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> you know, he made us all come to the front. And he's like, I want everyone to raise their hands. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, seriously, you're going to make us do this? And, like, we raise our hands. He's like, I want you guys to pray like you're desperate for God, Right? Like, I know you guys are pastors. I know, you, you know, like, like you think you're too cool for this. I just want you to cry out to God. And so, you know, I'm like trying to play along, right? And, and like, like, I just felt like, like, I know this guy, Pastor David, he's my friend. I, I just felt like he was trying to make me cry. It's like, Pastor David, you're not going to do it. I'm not going to cry, right? Just sitting there. I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. And then, so he says this thing. He's like, I feel like some of you need to hear this right now. You all know this. You're all pastors. But you need to be reminded that you are not alone. You've never been alone. And I look over to the right of me, and you know who's standing right next to me? Pastor Andy Lee, who was at the mall that day. And I just started bawling, right? I'm like, dang it, Pastor David. It made me cry. I'm bawling and I'm crying and we go back to our seats and at the end of the service, that guy from Cincinnati comes up to me. He's like, Pastor Steve, we got to talk, right? I'm like, okay, we've been putting this off too long. He's like, hey man, I just, I just needed to thank you because after that retreat, my life has never been the same. You know, I, I didn't think I believed in God anymore. I was kind of at the end of my rope. I went as a counselor just because all the other college kids were doing it. But then when you prayed for me, I mean, I just, I felt nothing. I just felt like, like my heart was cold. And then when you prayed for me, you said something, and my life has never been the same. I've never been the same. My family's never been the same. It's just changed everything. And I was like, I don't remember what I said. It's like, I want to know what I said. This sounds amazing. And what I said was actually really kind of elementary. So apparently what I said when I was praying for him, I said, God's love is bigger than you can possibly know. And God's love will never fail you. That's all I said. That's it. And and, and it changed his life. God's love is bigger than you will ever know. And God's love will never fail you. It'll never run out. It'll never be exhausted. One of the ways that we experience that is through each other. 
I wanted to preach this message. And, and to be honest, what I've gone through um, over the last year has changed the way that I want to do church. Because one of the things that I realized is that if you leave church and you feel just as alone as when you came, then I think we failed. What, what is the whole law of Christ thing? You're supposed to be connected to God and connected to each other. That's what we're here to do. I mean, maybe it's not going to be magic every week. You're not going to cry and <laughs> experience all these miracles every week. Maybe, maybe, but maybe not. But from week to week, do we have the chance to actually bear one another's burdens? And this is the part where I'm going to ask you, over this next year and as we continue as a church, we can come to church and just be like, hey, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. Or even better, we can come here and during our fellowship time, it's like you go and you get your bagel, then you run to your pew and you get on your phone. You know what the phone is a signal to for many of us? It's like a do not disturb sign. It's like the awkwardness shield, right? It's like, like, I don't want anyone to talk to me and I don't want to feel awkward about not talking to anyone, so I'm just going to be glued to my phone, right? I do it too, right? But I tell you, if we want to do this thing, if we want to bear one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ, you got to get off your phone, right? You got to actually talk to people. You got to have some awkward conversations, right? where you don't know what to say, where someone tells you something heartbreaking, where maybe you ask someone, hey, how can I pray for you? And maybe you pray for them right there, and maybe your prayer is awful. It's not very sophisticated. But maybe that person feels a little less alone. I got to tell you, there's a lot of people who prayed for me during that time. I don't really remember a lot of their prayers. Some of them weren't very sophisticated. They didn't use big words. They didn't always make me cry. But over that period of time, I knew I was not alone. And that's what I want to do in church. That's what I want LGM to be about. Praise team, can you come up? Let's just take a moment to pray. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, maybe you came in here, and this is the way our problems are. That problems demand attention, right? And and this is the thing. This is why... It's so lonely when you go through a problem because you get tunnel vision. You just get so fixated on your problem, on your issue, on your grade, on your test. Oh, shoot, oh, shoot, I got two tests tomorrow. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Am I going to get that internship? How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to pay for this Christmas presents? Just the problems, they, they make our view so small. They make us think that problem is everything. I think one of the things about love is love, instead of constricting you, it expands you. That's what love's meant to do. Instead of being someone who's, who's guarded and afraid and closed off from everyone, you expand and you connect. So, brothers and sisters, as we pray, just take a moment to be reminded. You know, maybe you want to pray that. Maybe you want to pray, God, I need to know that I'm not alone. But maybe what you can do, actually, is to pray for someone else. Maybe in your mind right now, you know that there's somebody that you can connect to, you can reach out to, even here at church, 
Maybe your plan was to just leave right after service, but maybe you could stay for lunch. And brothers and sisters, maybe if someone talks, tries to talk to you at lunch, <laughs> you don't just say that's nice and turn back to the friend you want to talk to. Maybe we answer that bid for a connection. We let them know, I am here with you. Let me be Christ to you, to bear your burden. I'm not going to fix everything. I want you to know you are not alone. What valley are you going through? What difficulty are you going through where you feel like you have to bear this alone? That is a lie from Satan. Satan wants to divide you from the pack. It says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion. You know how lions attack people? You know how they kill their prey? They separate them from the pack. They find the one animal that is too stupid to stay with the rest, right? It just wanders off on its own. And then the lion picks off that animal. Brothers and sisters, are you going through some sort of difficulty, darkness, and attack? Can you reach out? I want to make myself available. You can reach out to me. My information, it's all on the website. You can find it. Come text me. I'll pray for you. Come talk to me after this service. I'll pray for you. You are not alone. Precious God, I pray for each and every one of us. We will know that we were made to be Christ to one another. Thank you, God, for the ways that you have set people into my life when I needed them most. And God, thank you for the opportunities that we have to bear one another's burdens. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have turned away from those bids of connection. But Lord, give us the courage to turn towards people, to to be awkward together, God, to cry together, for us to pray together, to go through this life together as you have intended us. That we may know that we are not alone. We have never been alone. We will never be alone in Jesus' name. Amen.